you're going to read along in our scripture reading tonight, we're going to take a reading from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 17. Gospel of Matthew chapter 17, and we're going to read the first eight verses of this chapter that records quite a glorious account of our Lord and Savior. Matthew chapter 17, looking in verse 1 and reading down to verse 8. It says this, And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud, which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. When the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, and be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. And that will conclude our reading this evening. Um, That's reading the account of what is famously known as the Transfiguration, or the Jesus Transfiguration. And the thought that the Lord has placed upon my heart today in regards to this text, is He is more than He appears. He is more than He appears. For those of you that are visiting with us tonight, I'd like to give you a little context to maybe where our church is at and what we're doing here tonight and where we've been and want to relate it to this scripture reading tonight in some way, if the Lord would help me to do so. Um, Now for a number of years, and I may explain some of this as we look at some of the text here in a few moments, maybe not, but um, we have among us, by their own profession, some who have never been saved. They have sought the Lord, Uh, We at this church believe that you come to know the Lord by fully surrendering your will, your mind, your heart, your entire being in submission to Him. And that when a person is saved, God gives to them eternal life. I don't have a secret prayer. We don't have a secret room. We don't have a formula. What we believe is that God speaks today. 
And what a good, I'm not going to have to explain much because Sister Melanie told you what that's like. And though all of us, there's different aspects to our story, there's different ages, there are some clear things that occur in every true conversion experience. As the psalm that she quoted said, we're brought low and God helps us. So many tonight are aware of their standing with God. The gospel has been preached. The law of God has been portrayed and the law has communicated to their hearts that they're guilty before an almighty, holy God and that they need to make peace with Him and reconcile with Him and that the only way to do that is to repent of their sins and put faith in Jesus Christ alone. And yet, we ourselves are incapable of feeling and and doing the, the right things in and of ourselves. We can't feel the right things and think the right things and respond the right ways unless God alone helps us. It is not absent of our volition. There's part of us that has to respond and I don't understand the dynamics fully of that because I know there is a yielding that takes place in the heart of the person, but I know that it also requires the persuasion of God to help me yield. And so what has been the case in this church for hundreds of years, what has been the place in this country since its inception and even prior to its inception, what has been the case throughout churches down through time, all through history, all the way back to the apostles, preceding the time of Jesus, during the time of the prophets, all the way back to Adam and Eve, that there is a heart that is wicked within us that rebels against full surrender to God. But when the law of God is revealed to us in our hearts, then we come under this uh, influence where the the law becomes real. The, The law becomes alive to us and we respond and yield. And at the moment of total perfect surrender being partially enabled by God, the person has a peace with God that is discernible within us. We know when we have made peace with God. All the stories of the New Testament, one of the undertones of all the healings of Jesus that I love is that all of them are physical healings, but they're these symbols of a spiritual thing that takes place within. And so when the woman touches the hem of his garment and it says there so clearly, and she felt within herself that she had been healed What a clear picture of the moment that a person is able to touch the hem of his garment and then we sense with our being, we have been healed by God. He has touched us. And there's a change that takes place. It's not just a feeling, but the result of what the transformation that God does, there is a feeling to it. Tonight... We have many among us that have prayed many times and of their own testimony have said, you know, I just, I'm not satisfied. 
I'm not at peace with God. When I think about my sin, I know that I'm guilty before God. And so, I've pastored here, I can only speak to two and a half years. I know this long precedes my being here. So we've had revivals, I think eight since I've been here, around that. And almost every revival, I think every revival, we've had people seek the Lord. And few are satisfied. And so we go about this and we have this, these seasonal and these cyclical efforts that we put forward and they're good. I'm, I'm not discouraging them at all. We have these efforts that we put forward three times a year and, and perhaps throughout the year we'll have certain uh, desires of our hearts that will rise up towards those that are lost and we'll make a special effort perhaps to preach or to testify or to sing or to cater to their need in some way. And yet, this cycle reveals something about human nature. Because the preacher gets up, and Brother Brian has helped us now. This is the second revival he's helped us in, at least since I've been here. And we've had all different number of preachers. All different, Brother Harvey helped us in revival last year. And we've had all different preachers come, and different styles, and different portrays of the same message that God has been blessed us, has given us these different ways and modes of expression, and yet still, people are not at peace. And this, this routine can reveal a weakness in human nature. Because what can happen is that we can hear the same stories, and they become fables from long ago. And we hear instruction about repentance and faith. And those two things become words, theological concepts that are easy to dismiss. And we hear testimonies like Sister Melanie's and others out throughout all of our revivals where people get up and they're moved by the Holy Spirit. Listen, I believe what Melanie was tonight is she was moved by God himself to speak to us. To tell, to relate to us what God had done within her. And if we're not careful, human nature has this propensity to just start being dismissive, calloused, cold to things that we're familiar with. I want you to guard against that tonight. What we're doing here tonight is important. Lost friend, what you hear is important. What you feel is important. So you need to be attentive tonight. You see, in this text, we read about Jesus and how for all of his life up to this point, an aspect of who he was had been covered. You see, God, Jesus was like no other person. And I don't even know how to explain how Jesus was because I don't understand it fully. But here's what I do know. Jesus was 100% God in the flesh. All the divine nature of God was poured into Jesus, even in his mother's womb. 
He was perfect in all ways. He was holy in all ways. He was all powerful in all ways. He was, he was God in the flesh. And yet the book of Hebrews perhaps elucidates more than any other book that he was also fully man. And so when he came into this world, what people saw was the humanity of him. They saw a little baby in a manger that was crying out in need of his mother and in need of the protection of his father, in need of warmth, in need of food. They saw the humanity of Jesus in his birth. And the Bible, especially in the book of Luke, is, is very clear to reveal to us the humanity of Jesus, that he hungered, that he learned, that he wept, that he had emotions and feelings just like you and I. And the Hebrew writer takes all of that humanity of Jesus and reveals to us that one of the primary reasons why that Jesus was human was so that he could be a faithful high priest that understands in all points just the things that we all endure. Jesus knows the feeling of being lost. Did you know that? He was separated from God before he went to the cross and on the cross. You see, for these, so what Jesus does is he lives 30 years. And he's just a, by all outward perception, he's just a normal man. We know that because his brothers, his own flesh and blood brothers, did not recognize him as the Messiah when he began his ministry. So they must have known. I mean, that's, that's almost incredible to consider that here there's a person that you're living in or you're living with and among that you're having regular interactions with and you don't realize that he has never done anything wrong, that he's never sinned. That he's never reacted the way that you do to parents' rules. But the Bible teaches us that he never did. That gets to what Brother Brian was talking about earlier. That's because Jesus was meek and lowly of heart. That he did not make some proud. You know, when you and I are perhaps more righteous in a moment than somebody else. And we excel somebody in behavior or talent. Perhaps we're quick to make sure the world can see how we excel above others. Jesus was not like that. He did not compare himself to one another so that he could diminish others. He lived perfectly righteous, but he was humble. And then his time came. When we were studying the book of John on Wednesday nights, we talked about that phrase a lot because it appears throughout the gospel of John. And in one sense, his time coming was referring to his crucifixion. But there were multiple times that Jesus, his time had come. And so there came a point where his 30 years of silence was over and revealing God to the world was necessary. It seems as though he's a little irritated at his mother. Remember John chapter 2? Whenever he turns the water into wine and he says those exact words, her, one, my time has not come. He was quick often to 
tell people after he would perform miracles, even in this own transfiguration, he tells Peter, James, and John, do not go tell people until after the resurrection what has occurred here. You see, Jesus' time came and he begins to reveal God in the flesh. But listen to me, it's altogether different than what people expected. And it is still altogether different than what people expect. You see, people today are so worried and concerned about religious rules and regulations. People are so concerned about lifestyles that appear to be religious and about coming and doing the right church thing as we spoke earlier about coming and repeating a prayer and doing all the number of activities that make a person appear righteous. And people today that want to know about Jesus often just assume right from the get-go that there's this long list of prerequisite behaviors that you must first have before you can become a Christian. And that's not the case at all. You see, Jesus came, and the Bible tells us in the Old Testament in a prophecy about him that he would not be of a beautiful countenance because God wanted him not to be attractive to people based upon appearance, but upon who he really was. And so he was born poor. He was born to simpletons. He was born to normal, basic, unpopular people. But he slowly begins to reveal God to the world. And he heals, he goes into communities and he heals people. And people are astounded. And they're not ready to label him as God and they're not ready to call him the Messiah. But there's this attraction to Jesus that is captivating the hearts and minds of people into the extent that they're willing to leave other things of importance behind just so that they can spend time learning more about the person of Jesus. And listen, there's a parallel today that fits our time. If a person is to truly get saved, listen to me, Jesus must captivate your attention completely. It cannot be during seasons of revival. It cannot be when we gather in the house of God for this one or two or three hour period where you say, you know what, I'm going to seek the Lord right now. But when I go home, I'm going to attend to all of my concerns and interests. Listen, there's a part of following Jesus where he becomes your all in all. He must captivate you. We live in a world today that it's hard to captivate somebody's attention, isn't it? Nearly impossible for even God to captivate people's attention without coercion. Because people are so frenetic about their interests. And I myself have the problem of a brain that won't shut down. Not necessarily on good things, just on things. Activity and concerns and worries and interests and hobbies. But Jesus comes and people are just captivated by him. But his revelation is, he is, you know, whenever you've seen a great light, when you've been in darkness, what does it do? It blinds you. So I love about Jesus in the Gospels that his revelation is, it's a buildup. It's like he knows the world cannot handle 
God in the flesh as he is going to be right before his crucifixion and resurrection. The world cannot handle this bright light that is shining and burning in the world. So he comes to these little towns and he comes to these poor people and he comes to these little cities and he begins to slowly reveal himself in just the miracles that he does. And then he begins to reveal himself in that he begins to cure people of what we're preaching to you tonight about, which is sin. He brings salvation to the world. And people walked away and they would say, we've never seen a man do these things before. Or they'd walk away and they'd hear a sermon. And it wasn't like a sermon you've heard before. Listen, I've heard sermons where I felt like the power of God was in it. I felt, I've heard sermons before where I lost myself in the sermon. Like I forgot I even existed because I was so enraptured and entranced in what was being said. But I think when Jesus spoke, it was like that every single time he spoke. When he was around the campfire with the other 12, and they ask him a question that's not recorded, and God begins to speak, having been anointed with the Spirit beyond measure. And there he is just lounging, you know. He's just laying down about to fall asleep. And they ask him a question, and he just barely sits up. And he begins to answer them. I believe it was like those men in Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus. Remember what they said? Did not our hearts burn within us while he spoke to us along the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? You see, one of the things that I'm trying to say tonight is that many religious preachers and teachers, myself included, have often got up. And we can tell you facts of truth. And we can give you warnings of reality. We can talk about death and we can talk about eternal life. And listen, all of those things are true. But our human nature has this capacity after hearing that over and over to just callous ourselves to it and dismiss the vibrant reality that exists. But listen to me, the greatest form of truth in the world is not intellectual truth. It's not emotional truth. It's an experiential truth. You come to know something in the depth of your being that it is in fact true. And Jesus would speak to people and as though I struggle to get past my flesh and my weakness to fully communicate and although I strive not to say something wrong or say something half true, I I try really hard not to do it. Jesus had this power to just speak to people's hearts with every word he uttered. But here, He's about to reveal a side of him that he had revealed to no one. You see, up to this point, they saw the miracles and they heard the powerful words. They even saw him pray. Actually, that's what he's doing. Luke, in chapter 9, tells us that whenever this happened, Jesus was in prayer. There's a lot to say about that that I can't, I'm not going to get to tonight. But they watched him pray on one occasion. Do you remember that occasion where they watched him pray? It doesn't record to us what he was saying. But we know what it did to him. Because they came to him and said, Lord, teach us to do that. What you just did, teach us to pray like that. You see, because prayer was not a religious form. It's always 
saddened me so much. I think I might have told the church or I told some church, been preaching so much lately, don't remember where it's at. I've been listening to this Catholic radio station here lately. And one of the things they do in this Catholic radio station is they have these prayers that they say and they just repeat them over and over. And I've thought, how sad that there is this emptiness that even across the airwaves I can hear emanating from this person's voice that's just in their minds just sprinkling up into the abyss of nowhere. And yet when Jesus spoke to God the Father, even as an outside observer, there was a palpable awareness that God was talking to God. But they had never seen what they're about to see right here. You see, because all of that was still a portray within his humanity. He was still a human being. But what they were going to show here, we were going to catch a glimpse of Jesus in divinity. That he was more than what he appeared to be. Lost friend tonight, here's what I'm trying to say to you in part. I can get up here every week and take the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus every week. And you can hear the name of Jesus and you can hear the events of the gospel and you can be exhorted. You can be told you need to go and you need to repent of your sins and put faith. The object of your faith has to be the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And yet, if you do not see Jesus for who he is, truly who he is, if the Spirit does not peel back the veil from your eyes, that you can really see Jesus high and lifted up as not some character from a story, but God himself cloaked in the flesh, alive and real at this very moment, hearing every utterance that I speak, hearing every thought that passes through your mind. Listen to me. Jesus must reveal himself to you tonight. If you have prayed and you say, you know, I've not felt God's conviction like I ought to. Let me tell you one thing to pray. Lord, reveal the risen Savior to me and make him real. Very often, one of the things that preachers, we can make mistakes doing is thinking that the people just don't have the information And if the people have the accurate information, then certainly they'll have the capability to respond to the accurate information. But what if the truth is, no, the people have the right information, but there's no life in it. There's no life. So what does Jesus do here? Well, he goes to this mountain and he takes three people with him. Imagine how privileged that would have been to be one of those three. Like, you're already privileged because, you know, there were 70 that he sent out, and then there was 12 that he sent out, and now there's three that he's calling aside. Let me ask you this question today, in all honesty. Do you want to be in Jesus' small little group? Like, do you want to have an intimate awareness of the person of Jesus and these three were 
were told things that the others were not told. They saw things the others did not see. They were empowered in ways we find out in the New Testament as we go into the book of Acts and we see them become the authors of the New Testament. We see them become pastors of New Testament churches. We see them being the vehicles of God's power in the book of Acts. Listen, these three men were part of Jesus' most intimate circle on earth. And so let's ask this question tonight. Do you want salvation for this selfish personal reason that you just want to escape torment? That's why you want to be saved. Or do you want Jesus? You want to be with him. You want to be part of his inner circle. Jesus is everything to you. He's not just the cherry on top of your Americanized lifestyle. If Jesus is an accessory, if Jesus is just the cherry on top, Jesus will never be yours. He must be everything to you. How do I know that? Well, because he told us that eight days before this, six days before this. So, you know, I don't have time tonight. There's so much here. Here, this, this, this chapter before it. He's just talked about Peter and he's talked about this experience that Sister Melanie related. This experience that we talked about where God knows us and we know God. And as he continues this teaching to his disciples, one of the things that he tells them is that you must, uh, that you must desire him. That you must take up your cross and follow him. That he must be your everything. You must die to self and want him. He takes these three men up to the mountain. I just can't get to everything tonight. He takes these three men up to the mountain. And the book of Luke tells us something just so strange. They fall asleep. They fall asleep. Now, I want to say that that is strange. I don't think it is. You know, I think we've been in revival for eight days now, right? I think it's eight days. And the last couple nights we've been tired, haven't we? And you can tell. Prayers were shorter. Prayers were quieter. The burden was less compelling as it was at the beginning of the revival. And so we've seen even this week play out what these men experienced all the time. And that is they would go and they would have these grand moments of revival where Jesus would be at the center of the display and men and women would come to them to get an audience with Jesus and they were in the front row seats watching Jesus do all these miraculous things and now Jesus has taken all three of them aside to go up to the mountain because at this point he's wanting to reveal to them more than what he's ever revealed to them prior to this and when they get up to the mountain... They fall asleep. Just like they did in the garden, right? Not once, not twice, but three times. Isn't it right? They fall asleep. And the book of Luke seems to indicate that they're awakened and they're not processing everything. Can you blame them? They see Jesus. But he looks a lot different than what they'd ever seen him. That's what I'm praying for tonight for you lost person. If I preach a thousand sermons about Jesus to you, and in just one of them, you can see the divine Jesus for who he is. They see him. Look what it says in verse 2. He was transfigured. Okay? We don't use that word in our language anymore. We could use the word 
um, transformed. It's used in the, um, in, in the book of Romans to mean the word transformed. But what it means is metamorph, metamorphosized. Probably not even saying that correctly. Think of a, a caterpillar to a butterfly. If you were to look at a caterpillar not knowing what you know, and somebody was to come along and say, you see that ugly creature right there that you want to stomp on? If you'll just let it be, it'll become this beautiful butterfly. You probably wouldn't believe it. The Bible's not shy to tell us that Jesus was not a handsome, good-looking person. And yet, here we find that when the apostles awaken, his face is shining bright. And even his clothes have become so white. It's beyond any, I think it says in a different version, what a launderer could even make crystal clear white. So listen, Jesus is appearing transformed in a way that they have never seen him before. He is shining so brightly. And then what they see along with him is that there are two men meeting and talking with him there. And the Bible tells us it's no other than, or no less than, two of the great, what we would call as humans, the greatest men of the Old Testament. Two that are so great, they became symbols of great men. Moses, the man who was a symbol of the law, the man that was a type of Christ that says in Deuteronomy that there would be a man that would come, mighty in word and mighty in deed, just like me. Moses was a man who was a symbol of Jesus Christ, and there he is speaking with Jesus. What about Elijah? A man who called fire down from heaven. He's there with Jesus. See, Moses and Elijah are men that were worshipped by people at this time. They wouldn't have called it worship, but that's what they did. They took the words of Moses and elevated them beyond the words of God himself. Over and over and over again. It doesn't tell us that that's what Moses and Elijah looked like, though. I don't think they were transfigured like he was. Why? Because there's just one that can look like that. You know what they're talking about when they're meeting there? I can't remember what it's worded in the King James. And I don't even remember if it's in this because the book of Mark and the book of Luke and both in chapter 9 record it. But they're talking about Jesus' exodus. That's what it's called. So Moses is there, and Elijah is there, and Jesus is there, and Jesus has set his face going towards Jerusalem because he's no, and he's actually just been rebuked by the apostle Peter because Jesus had just told them, I'm going to Jerusalem to lay myself as a sacrifice for sin. I'm going to be crucified and rejected. And you remember the account. Peter begins to rebuke the Lord, and the Lord says, get thee behind me, Satan, because thou savorest not the things of God, but the things of men. And so there, he's, he's setting his mind towards Jerusalem and Moses and Elijah are there and they're talking about his exodus and then Peter it's almost like he's a little child and he knows that there's this wonderful conversation that is going on between these three eminent men and yet possibly in his mind he's thinking okay Elijah is a man of power Moses is a man of power and now our modern prophet this man who's also a man of power and so he says Well, can I just make a tent for all three of you? 
And all of a sudden, something wonderful takes place. A cloud, a bright and shining cloud. I don't even know how to, I don't even know how to imagine this. You know, there are some things in the Bible I try to imagine, and I just can't. This is one of those things that I just can't imagine. As he's saying these words, like I want to know, like, where did the cloud come from? Did it just instantly appear? What happened there? But this cloud appears, and they're just struck in awe, and they fall down. And then there's this voice that said something for this man that had never been said for any other man. This is my beloved son. Hear ye him. Why not Elijah? Why not hear Elijah? Why not hear Moses? Because the word that Jesus speaks is far greater than Solomon or Moses or Elijah. You see, listen tonight, lost friend, Jesus is not just another character in the Bible. It's not, you know, we go through Sunday school and one of the things, here's what I'll tell Sunday school teachers. Don't focus so much on the Old Testament stories that we don't talk about the one those Old Testament stories point us to. All of those men are there. All of those women there are there to point us to one man. And notice what happens. When the apostles look up, Elijah's gone, and Moses is gone, and Jesus is there. Listen, lost friend, tonight I want you to know this. When you begin to see Jesus differently, when you begin to behold him for the divine man that he is, you know what will happen? You hear this often in testimonies. Everyone and everything else just fades away. I remember whenever I was seeking the Lord, it was October 6, 1998, and I was on the altar at Bethel Church, and I was one of those habitual seekers. I'd gone up, and I'd gone up, and I'd gone up, and I'd gone up. And there were times where I can say now, I don't know why I wasn't saved prior to that in my own human reasoning. Like, it seems like, to me, I was as earnest before that as I was in that moment. But I can mark a distinction in that moment was that when they began to sing the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, I just for a few moments of time lost sight of this world. All of the things, all of the words that had been whispered to me on the altar, like just trust him, son, just surrender. Or all the testimonies that I had heard people say of what they said when they got saved. I would utter those things in my own prayers, hoping that maybe this formula, and then I would analyze what am I not not saying what am I not doing but listen to me whenever Jesus became real to me and I recognized in that moment that he could be a friend down deep in my soul and at that moment in my 10 year old life that's what I wanted more than anything was just to have a friend and God revealed Jesus as that man he could be the friend that lived within me everything faded away and it was just Jesus faith is important but listen to me the object of your faith matters you know what that means we don't just say believe believe on what believe on who you see at the end of your belief is a person 
And his name is Jesus. And you're trusting that his perfect life, that his perfect sacrifice, and that his power over death, and that his desire to impute salvation to you is not a theological concept or an old fable, but it's a real person who today stands at the right hand of God, willingly making intercession and desiring to give to you eternal life. He's a real man. Jesus became real to me in those moments that quick. I was saved. That quick, Elijah and Moses disappeared. And it was just Jesus. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful picture. All that matters truly is Jesus. These men, they saw Jesus in a way they had never seen him before. Lost friend today, here's what I'd say to our church. Let's pray that. It helps us. You know what? It helps lost people. When we see Jesus and we stumble at expressing who he is to them. You understand what I'm saying? Like, even today, as I sat back in that office... And the Lord is just revealing to me this, this, this story of the transfiguration. And I'm just sitting back and I'm just in my mind's eye just playing it all out. And my heart is just filling up. And I'm recognizing that they saw Jesus that way. And one day I will see Jesus that way too. That they saw him like that there. And Mary, as she went to the tomb, guess what? She saw Jesus like that. And you might be here tonight. You might be saying, no, I don't understand. I can't even comprehend what you're saying. Well, listen, there was a time when Jesus rose from the dead that he had a body transfigured like this. And there his friends came to him that knew him. Or one of his, one of his uh, female friends came to him that had known him prior to his resurrection. And when she was speaking to him, she didn't even recognize who she was looking at. There are many people that come into the presence of God and they have no idea what it is. They come into the presence of Jesus. They come into a church service and their heart is gripped and they know there's something real and they know there's something different and they know there's a conviction about the things that are being spoken and there's something going on within that is pleading to their heart and conscience. You need to listen to this because this is real. You can listen to all the doubters. You can listen to all the skeptics. But listen, you know what your heart, what your mind, what God's spirit is revealing to you. And many people do one of two things. They get scared of it and they go to this fad religion that passes about every 20 years to a new fad and then a new fad and then a new fad and then a new one. And what it usually invokes is a bunch of emotions and hand raising and cool songs and wonderful bands and cool activities at church, but it lacks seeing the real divine Jesus more than a figure, more than a man, more than a prophet, more than a teacher, God himself living within me. He'll live within you too. Lost friend tonight. Pray. You know what I love about this, and I gotta stop, is that the Lord's church is meant to reflect the countenance of Jesus transfigured. 
you do that? Isn't that what Stephen did? There Stephen was. I saw some of that in Sister Melanie earlier. Did you see it? Did you see the transfiguring? Did you see that it wasn't her words and her thoughts and her power? And have we not seen as you stood in the house of God and listened to the preaching of the gospel from time to time or heard your brothers and sisters exhort and admonish and teach and do these things and there's something that settles and reflects different from time to time. There's a power, there's a a perception that is real. This church, this building right here for how many hundreds of years has had saints. Some of you in your younger days, did you not see those older men and those older women stand up with their decrepit, decaying bodies? And were they not like Stephen, reflecting as it were the face of an angel? That you saw them in all their flesh and all their carnality and all that natural man of sin. It just temporarily completely faded away. And you saw the pure, perfect, transformed, transfigured Christ in them. Isn't that what the moon does? The moon has no light of its own. All it does is reflect as it is related to the sun. See what? lost people often need to see in us is that we've gone to the mount like Moses in Exodus chapter, I think it's 34. Remember he went up there and he said, God, I want to see you. God, I want to see you. God, I want to see, please let me see you. God, I know you. You're my friend. You've delivered me. You've helped me. You've called me. You're calling me to lead these people. Lord, please, I want to see you. And God said, I would love for you to be able to see me. But you can't handle seeing me. So I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock. And I'm going to pass by. And I'm going to, I I can't even comprehend this. I'm going to let you see the least bright part of me. Does God even have a least bright part? I don't think so. But he got to see the hinder part of God and he came down from the mountain. And what happened? Here's what I love about it. His face was lit up like a light bulb and he didn't even know it. You know what I find? When my countenance is being transfigured because of my relationship to Christ... I'm emanating his light most brightly. I don't even know it. I'm just shining. And my pride, it's like it just is dead for a moment. I don't even, I don't, it's not there for just a moment. Because this corruptible flesh has been conquered completely by the risen Savior for a moment. And I just shine. And I'm like, Moses, I'm relating God's word. And they're looking and they can't look at it. They say, put a veil over that. I can't see that. So that's what Moses had to do. Is he would speak to the people. He'd put a veil. Lost friend tonight, listen. If you don't like coming to the house of God because you feel the power of God with God's people, you're exactly where you need to be. If you're in a place that's entertaining and the preacher is eloquent and there's all these good words and good thoughts and good feelings, but you don't see the light of the face of Jesus Christ, you're not seeing him for who he is. 
Here, they got to see the glory of Christ. What do we need in this revival as we get a song together, Sister Ashley? Lost people, I don't, I don't want to pressure them. They're lost. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. Confused. They're, they're confused. <laughs> Why are we looking to their lead? No. We pray, God, shine your glory like we've never seen it before. Awake us from our slumber and let us see. Go look in the book of Luke. Go look in chapter 9. It says that, that Peter spoke and he didn't even know what he was doing. I don't know what exactly that means. Here's what I think it means. He's awaking and he's seeing all this. And he is so overwhelmed by what he's seeing that he just, you know, Peter the blabbermouth, he just shouts something out. Can I build a tent for all of you? You know what often happens when we get in the house of God? We're so overwhelmed by the goodness of his presence. Have you not heard people just shout these screeches of joy and happiness because they don't know what to do. They don't know what to say. The glory of Christ is before their very eyes. I pray tonight, lost friend, you would see him as you have never seen him before and say friend I hope it's because they see him in you